Welcome to the Great Lakes Fishing Podcast presented by Fishhawk Electronics. If you're looking for news, tips, and stories about fishing the Great Lakes, you've come to the right place. And now your host, Chris Larson. Good evening. Welcome to Fishhawk Live on the Great Lakes Fishing Podcast. Joining us tonight is Captain Mark Kulak from King's Landing Sport Fishing. Captain Mark, thanks for joining the show. Thank you for having me. Awesome. You are a guy uh, out of the Toronto area. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your charter. Sounds good. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm located just uh, just outside Toronto where I live, and I uh, I guide out of Bluffers Park Marina in Toronto, Canada. Um, you know, I've been fishing uh, been fishing my whole life. I actually grew up in England, fishing with my dad on the North Sea for cod and mackerel. And then, you know, in my early teens, we moved to uh, moved to Toronto, and uh, my dad had me fishing out of uh, out of Bluffers. And, uh, you know, I've been fishing that water pretty much the last 30 years. What I'd say over the over the last little while, I just started fishing on my own. I started to evolve and really work across the lake. So when I had my own smaller trailable boat, I would fish anywhere from Toronto to St. Catharines. And I'd really, you know, call it follow the fish uh, as they would migrate around the lake. Um, but also, in addition to fishing in, uh, in Toronto, um, back in uh, 2012, I had the opportunity to move out to uh, the west coast of Canada. So I also spent three years uh, fishing on the Pacific Ocean in Vancouver and really picked up a bunch of different tactics there. And then uh, and then came back, uh, came back home, as they say it, in, uh, in 2015. And that's really when, uh, you know, got serious about wanting to fish more on, on Lake Ontario and out of Toronto and pick up the vessel I have now. The, it's a 27 uh, Tierra Open that was completely redone from top to bottom. And uh, you know, uh, set up King's Landing Sport Fishing with my with my father, and now I run it out of uh, out of Bluffers Park in Toronto. So uh, pretty excited to be here today. So you've done a lot of fishing. You fished the North Sea. You fished uh, the West Coast. And what is it? I mean, you spent a lot of time in Toronto. You said you fished that whole north side of Lake Ontario. What is it about Bluffers Point or Bluffers Park, Bluffers? What is so special about that area? Why did you decide to call that home? Yeah, you know what? I I love the I love the water in front of Toronto. It's got a it's got quite the reputation for a section of uh, the water that's called the drop or the ledge, and it's really where where we get this incredible transition where the water goes from a depth of sixty feet to you know call it one hundred and sixty feet in a matter of seconds. If if you're someone that doesn't know the water and you're doing a you're doing a north south troll, probably more if you're doing a a north troll and you've got your riggers down deep or your divers down deep. It can get really messy fast, but that that ledge it brings the bait in, it brings the fish in, and magic happens. Um, and the bluffs has just had a reputation uh, for having the fish uh, due to the drop. And you know, for for many years, you know, when it comes to our large derbies that we have in Toronto, um, you know, the bluffs has produced a lot of those large large fish. In addition to that, the bluffs has a couple of the largest tournaments, uh, you know, on the Canadian side of the Great Lakes. You know, that's the, you know, the King of Kings tournament run by uh, Vito Cerrone. A lot of the American captains uh, will come join us for that, uh, for that tournament. And it's all based out of the bluffs. So I'd say that's a big part of the bluffs. Um, honestly, for me, my, my dad loved the bluffs and he would, he would, he would refuse to fish anywhere else. So that's probably why I got so loyal to the, to the bluffs. I have ventured across to other ports. I've got lots of friends at other ports and there's, there's tons of great places to fish um, on the Canadian side of uh of, of the Great Lakes, but uh, I, I'm partial to bluffers now. 
Um, I got lots of buddies, both on the, the charter captain side or the recreational side out of bluffers. And it's, it's just home for me when it comes to fishing. Yeah, it's a beautiful area. I was actually able to fish out of that port, I believe about three years ago. And uh, it, it makes for some great photography as well. A lot, a lot of uh, cool sights to see with the bluffs and also with the city skyline in the background. Yeah. And that's the other cool, you know, that's exactly it to your point. Like it's, you know, anyone that's been a bluffs when they've come from the land, you're literally, you're driving, you're, you know, for me, I'm driving across one of the major highways in the, in the greater Toronto area. And then I drive through part of Toronto and I get to this top of this hill and then I drive down this big steep hill to the marina. And it's like an oasis away from everything. You know, you leave all your problems at the top and you're just at this beautiful oasis. Folks, if you're watching, uh, feel free to drop in a question. So the question of the night, we'll get a free Fishhawk swag bag. We're going to throw in a hat, some stickers, whatever else the guys have to throw in the box. And don't worry if you're from Toronto or you're from the Canadian side of the border. We have no problem with shipping up there. So uh, feel free to fire away with questions no matter where you're from. We'll go ahead and send that out if you are the winner tonight. So ask some great questions. Captain Mark is uh, extremely, extremely knowledgeable. He's got a really cool YouTube channel as well. It's been something that I've been checking out this week just to kind of get an idea of who you are and what you're about, Mark. Tell us a little bit about that YouTube channel, what you got going on there. Yeah, it was a, it was a, it was a neat project I started this, uh, this winter, you know, with, uh, with the environment we're in right now in COVID, you know, we're all looking for things to do. And uh, I have a couple of good buddies of mine that they're actually not, they're not fishermen. Like they come out with me once or twice a year for fun, but they're, they're not fishermen, but I've got a, I've got two buddies that actually are very, very active in the YouTube space, uh, running, running very popular channels um, in the, in the computer gaming space. And well, far more popular than my fishing channel is today. But, you know, we started talking sometime and they said, Mark, you're like, you've got this passion for fishing. You love doing it. You're, you're, you're the guy that's willing to help anybody at the dock or, or share your knowledge. Like, why don't you set up the channel? And, and it got me thinking like, you know, we weren't, none of us were born knowing what we know today about fishing. We've, we've learned from different people. So, you know, that's really how it got started. It was, uh, how could I, how could I share this knowledge with others? You know, in, 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 in society today, you know, you know, the whole sharing community is a big thing. So I was, it was my way of, of giving back and, and sharing with other people. And it's, it's been really rewarding. Like I get, I get lots of comments, uh, both public and private from people. It's, it's, you know, I get people that find me and start sending me text messages, um, because of the YouTube channel and really appreciating the, the, the sharing of the knowledge. And, you know, that's what I find uh, so awesome about YouTube. And it's, it's my way of giving back because if I think about the, you know, the 30 plus years I've been fishing Lake Ontario, I've had a ton of people that have shared information with me and it's a, it's a way of giving back. Yeah, it's very good. One of, one of my favorite videos in there, and it's something that uh, I've been seeing a lot this year. I think it's because there are a lot more people jumping into the sport, taking maybe that boat that they've fished inland waters and deciding, hey, we're going to go out and give it a shot in the Great Lakes this year. One of the things that I've seen a lot online, and you address it on your channel, is is fishing with meat. So can you tell us a little bit about how you how you rig your meat, how you prepare it, how you do it? It's, it's like something that, that you do quite a bit of. Absolutely. I yeah, know. Uh, I'd say, uh, you know, myself and, you know, a lot of people that fish out of the Toronto area, we're, we're, be, we're big meat fishermen. Uh, I'll start by saying, I'll, I'll actually start without meat first and say, from a spoon perspective for me, like I'll probably run spoons, you know, early June into, you know, early, early part of July will be a predominantly spoon program. And then once that middle of July comes, 
I really start putting a lot of a lot of meat in the program. Um, you know, I still have some spoons out there, you know, on on some of my junk lines on my on my leg cores, but I really do uh, flip into the the meat. So for me, a, a couple of things, I uh, I I'll really run. Uh, you know, when it comes to meat strips, I'll run two types of fish. I'm either running herring that I get from the West Coast. Uh, you know, a friend of mine, Mike from Underdog, he brings it in, and I get it from Mike. Um, or, you know, I, I won't be afraid to uh, use an old-fashioned sabiki rig and try and uh, jig up some alewives. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll strip those alewives. I, I don't buy my own strips. I strip my, the fish myself. And, uh, you know, I've, I've shared some videos on how to do that. But then, uh, you know, I'll brine, uh, I brine those strips. Um, you probably see in the background here, I got a whole bunch of uh, the Potsky's fire brine. I, uh, I like to brine my meat strips in the, in the, in the Potsky's. And then for me, it's uh, a couple of different ways I run the, I run the meat. Um, you know, I, I run a combination of whether it be the clean rigs where I've got, um, I've got that meat strip with, uh, with no Twinkie flies. Uh, I, and, you know, I mentioned earlier, like I've, I fished in, I fished in Vancouver a, a bunch for three years and out there, um, while you don't see too much strip bait use, you see people that use um, whole uh, anchovy in an anchovy head, similar to similar to this fake one here, but a real one. But what you'll find when I fished, what I found when I fished out west is all of the rigs they'd be clean or clean or naked, no no Twinkie flies. So I'll I'll use uh, I'll often find that when when the when the fish feel a bit more spooky later in the day, I'm running that rig super clean longer leader seven eight feet leader um because i want them focusing on just that that meat rig that 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 strip but you know what i find in the in the morning especially when the fish are feeding and really aggressive or you know around the major or the minor bite time that's where i'll start to run you know if i if i grab a rig here that's where i'll be running you know i'll be running a kingfish or larger paddle but i'll have the twinkie flies on there with a bait head and my bait head of choice i'm a big fan of the uh the new hot fish head uh, from uh, Hot Fish Lures in uh, in Owen Sound, Ontario. Canadian guy. It's a it's a fantastic head that you know straight out of the box. Just slide your meat strip in and go. No need for tuning. And it's a it's a fantastic, really really easy head to use. Whether you're a beginner or someone very very seasoned. But I'm a I'm a huge fan of running of running meat strips. So it sounds like that's a, an easy way to get started. Uh, we got a couple questions coming in. I'm going to answer this first one. It's from Matthew Davis. He he's asking a fish hawk question. Can you use an X4D on an X4 transducer? Can I just change out the head units, Matthew? You can change out the head units. The deucer will work, but you will need a different probe. So the X4D probe is different from the X4 probe. So the transducer, if you've already got that in there, you can leave that. But uh, the rest of it, you're going to have to change out the head and the probe if you want to go that way. But uh, Captain John Pollock joined us last week, and he's from the Sturgeon Bay, Wisconsin area. He asked the first question of the night, and I love this question. He wants to know, do Canadians believe in the banana superstition? <laughs> that's, a, that's a good one. I, I, think it, I think the answer is yes, but it depends who you are. So I was, I was definitely one for the no bananas, and when I, when I lived out west, like the cap, the captain I learned to fish out west with, and a lot of the different tap tactics, he was dead against it. And then last year, uh, I always tell my customers like, "Hey, no bananas," and it's a bit of a joke or a gimmick we laugh about. And there was one trip with a, a set of guys that have actually become my regulars. Like I think they booked four trips with me last year, and this was on their first trip. And uh, and I, I I've never said anything. I forgot. And then literally we went out. We must have. We I think we hit 
a back-to-back double. It was two brothers and, and one of their girlfriends. So three of them on the boat. The two guys were fishing. We hit a double, got those in, hit another double, got those in. And one of the brothers, man, it was like, I'm so tired. I need a drink and I need something to eat. He grabs a bottle of water and pulls out a banana. And I was like, okay, bust. <laughs> <laughs> so it, didn't seem, yeah, it didn't seem to affect that trip, right? No, not at all. Just want to thank everybody watching us on YouTube as well tonight. We're live on YouTube for the first time for Fishhawk Live. So on Facebook and YouTube this evening, Mike Bowers, a question from Facebook here says, as a novice fisherman, where would you recommend to go for information to learn to fish the Great Lakes? Books, videos, charters, class, classes, et cetera. What would be the best approach in your opinion? I think it depends on where you are. Like, you know, from a book's perspective, there's, I know there's the Keating on King's books, uh, you know, uh, while I'm in Canada, American uh, gentleman, but it's it's a it's a great book. I know there's a series of different, um, you know, uh, online courses that some people offer. But I but I tell you, and you know, you mentioned it earlier. There there is just so much knowledge now on YouTube. You know, like I'm just one guy that has a channel. You know, uh, I know I know there's Russell. Uh, you know, he's got his channel. There's just so many great channels out there. Uh, you know, if you're willing to invest the time, uh, it's a great way to learn. The other tip I, I recommend, and, you know, I was doing a seminar like this a, a few months ago with a bunch of captains from the Ontario Guides Association that I'm a member of. And uh, one of the recommendations I do say is, and, and even how I learned when I moved out west because the fishery was different. I booked a couple of charters with a captain and explained, hey, I've got my I've got my own boat. I'm new to the area. I'd love to learn. Um, are you game for taking me out knowing that I, I want to learn and I, I want to eventually do this on my own boat? And this captain was totally cool with it. So that's another really good way to learn and a really good way to grow your network is to, you know, reach out to a couple of captains and, you know, book some trips with them and, you know, you'll, uh, you'll, you'll learn a ton. Let's talk trips right now, Mark. Uh, obviously, things in Ontario are a little bit different than they were, say, 10, 11 months ago. You guys are in a real serious lockdown right now. And uh, tell me a little bit about what's going on right now up in Ontario in your neck of the woods when it comes to getting out on the water and actually doing some fishing. Yeah, unfortunately, we are we are in a third wave of COVID right now. Um, and we are in a, we're in a, a province stay-at-home order. Uh, so it, it's definitely putting a a damper on, you know, call it the charter industry right now, uh, you know, as we're, as we're unable to operate at the current time, um, you know, for myself in Toronto, uh, you know, our season typically uh, starts, you know, late May, early June at the, at the earliest. So I'd say it's, it's not terrible for myself personally yet being at that I run out of Toronto. That being said, and you know, in most years, I will actually move my, move my boat to the South shore on the Canadian side in St. Catharines. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll run the boat out of April and May out of St. Catharines. Um, last year, I didn't bother. I had a real good feeling it was going to happen and, you know, we'd be, we'd be locked down. So it's, uh, it's definitely impacted the, the charter industry. But, you know, uh, in addition to that, because of the stay-at-home order, it's, it's impacted, you know, you can't, you, you, we've been asked not to interact with people outside of our households. Uh, in addition to that, the marinas um have been asked uh, the marinas have been called given permission to um put boats in the water and prepare for the season but they've been asked to make sure that there there there's no recreational use of their boats so interesting time for us right now um but you know we're all we're all staying positive hoping that uh things turn around and you know granted people are safe but also that we get to 
we would get to have a season. It does feel like it's going to be a little bit delayed, um, which was exactly how it was last year. We, you know, we, by the time we got the go ahead last year and, and uh, things, uh, things normalized and then, you, you know, getting people to like my boat was stored off site last year, getting a trucking company to truck it down and then getting it ready. I, I don't think I did my first trip until the, you know, call it the July, July 1st, uh, July 4th long weekend. Yeah, so you guys put your boats in or start your season pretty late typically. How does that season progress? What's it like fishing in June? What are you targeting at that point? And what kind of uh, strategies are you are you using in early summer out of bluffers? Yeah, and, and, and it's a really good question, question, Chris. And that's why, like, often, you know, many of us would start our seasons on the South Shore because it could be hit or miss in, uh, in June. What I'd say in June out of bluffers, um, for me, it, it's predominantly a, a spoon program. Um, and I find you doing a lot, you're doing a lot of searching, you know, the water is often still, still quite cool. You know, I've, uh, you know, it, I, I remember June's where you've, you've been out and it's been like, you know, 40, 44 degrees on the surface and you're, you know, you're 40 at best down, you know, 40 feet. So, you know, it, it's quite cool and the, the warmer water still on the South shore. So what I find is you're you're covering a lot of water. It's really I call it recon a lot of June. Um, that being said, uh, you know if I think about last year or even the year before, what I what I found the last couple of years in June um, at Bluffers that it's everyone Bluffers is quite popular for everyone wanting to troll east west and and is trolling with the land. What I find nice about June, the boat traffic is is much quieter or much lesser. And what I find I do in, in, in June as I'm doing a lot of that searching is I, I troll, uh, I troll South. So, you know, I'll, I'll set, I'll start my, uh, start my trolling around a hundred feet of water, drop my kicker and I'll, I'll troll South and, uh, you know, start to really pluck away at where I start to pick up fish and then I'll focus on that area. But again, it's a, it's a, it's a spoon program. You know, typically if I'm running a trip, I'm, you know, I'm going to have uh, for my boat, I usually do four, five people max. So on, on the Canadian side, we're allowed to run two rods per angler. So I'll have an eight or 10 rod spread. I'm covering lots of water, running, running spoons, really trying to really trying to locate the fish. And when I do locate them, really stay on them. Because the other thing that's really interesting about bluffers is we, we don't get the lake trout. So, you know, if I was to fish out of St. Catharines or Grimsby, you know, there's an abundance of lake trout. So when things are quiet with the salmon in the spring, you can go out and have a 30, 40, you know, fish day. Um, we don't get the lake trout at Bluffers. You know, we'll, we'll catch the odd one in the, in, you know, call it, you know, uh, late May or June, but that's, it's the odd lake trout. They really don't hang out in our water. All right. So that's our June. What does it look like when things get hot? When's the best time to, to go out of that area as the summer rolls on? July is awesome. Like July is absolutely fantastic. Um, you know, I was, I was just actually uh, communicating with a bunch of other captains because I was trying to arrange a, a five boat trip for one of my, uh, one of my customers and uh, just even trying to find a date in July that we could line up five boats on a Friday was a chore, but we pulled it off. Um, for July is just a fantastic, fantastic month. Um, you know, I've, I've, I can go back, you know, if I, I just think about, you know, my first year back when I moved back from British Columbia in, uh, in 2015, you know, I, I remember one day with my, with my buddy and my dad, just, just going out and I just got back from British Columbia. It was, the, it was our July long weekend, our, you know, Canada day is July 4th, sorry, July 1st, 
like the Americans have July 4th. And um, we, uh, I, I remember we were, we were absolutely exhausted by 11 a.m. going out again in the water in front of bluffers because we'd literally hit like 50 fish. So it's, it can be, and, and for me coming back from Vancouver, which is known as, you know, call it, uh, you know, West Coast being a, the, the mecca of salmon, salmon fishing, it was just one of those days that I, I, will, I will never forget. And uh, I remember, remember my buddy Alan just being absolutely exhausted from pulling in so many fish. So July, July can be absolutely incredible. Um, what I would say uh, with the, the water that I fish, uh, it, you know, it might as well be a congested highway in July because the, the, the boat traffic is incredible. So um, while it can be really, really good fishing in July, it's not surprising to see the fishing um, be super hot and fire up and then just shut off, you know, and, and, you know, my belief is there's just so much boat traffic. They've had so much gear in front of them. They just really just shut down. And then that's when, that's when I, you know, I hate to say it, that's when I think it separates the men from the boys because you start to see the, the, the boats all scatter and then it's uh, you know, and then it's starting to change up your tactics to, uh, to entice those fish to bite. But yeah, absolutely. If, uh, if someone wanted to fish the Toronto area that's never fished before, come see us in July. All right. You say when things get tough, what do you do? I mean, what is your strategy when things start uh, becoming difficult, the bite gets tough? What kind of tactics, what kind of changes, what kind of moves are you making? The one thing, the one thing I find, uh, you know, in, in Canada, whether it be on the West Coast, which is predominantly like in the West Coast, it's all a downrigger bite. Now, granted, I think there they've got a lot dirtier water because of a lot of the runoff. But on Lake Ontario and in Toronto especially, well, no, on the Canadian side, we still use a lot of downriggers. And uh, you, you find a lot of boats that are recreational anglers, one or two two guys, their spread will be two downriggers and, may, and maybe two divers. And what I find is um, when the bite shuts down, what I've, what I've learned over the years and especially as I've started to experiment more, running the trips, running running more rods, is um, when they shut down, I don't think the fish are completely done. It's the downriggers turn off, is, my, is what I would say. So what I find is I'm I'm stretching out the I'm stretching out my leads a lot more if I am going to still run downriggers. But to for me, I start putting out a lot more uh, a lot more junk lines, lead core, coppers, or I've, or I've got them on my setup. There, you know, there's times where I'll pop it, I'll pop a downrigger and I'll leave just one, I'll leave one rigger down with a rod. The other rigger's got my, my fish hawk probe, but I'm, I'm only running one, one rigger. Um, you know, sometimes if I've only got a small trip with two people and myself, I can only run six rods. So like absolutely at those times, it'll be, it'll be only one rigger. I'll run two divers and then I'll have three junk lines out. And the one thing that I'd say I, I do, um, I'm a slide diver guy. Like I think that makes a huge difference when those fish, when those fish shut down, because I can, I can put the, my bait as far as I want behind the diver or as close as I want to the diver. So that, I think that makes a difference, but I've noticed, um, you know, when those fish shut down, my, my weighted steels, my lead cores, my slide divers stretch back. Those are the rods that I'll fire. Typically it's not my riggers. Adam Christian, question from Facebook, wants to know how things are for cohos in your neck of the woods. He fishes the eastern basin of the lake. The cohos show up for two weeks, then run up the river. Sometimes they'll see them in early spring, and then they're gone. So what's the coho fishing like 
out of bluffers? So, uh, you know, I'd say it can be, it can be quite good. Um, they're actually, uh, and I'm just looking cause I've got some coho baits around here somewhere. Um, they can be, uh, it can be quite good, but what I'd say is, uh, most anglers here want nothing to do with them. Um, they're not, they're not targeted very well. They're, they're considered a bycatch for the most part. Um, everyone wants, everyone wants the King, right? They want the big, they want the big Chinook. Now, part of that is we've got a couple of huge money tournaments, um, with the silver salmon challenge or the great Ontario salmon derby that have you know, you know monstrous prizes. But to answer the question, um, we get coho. Um, and I'd say as a, as a captain, uh, typically my customers want, want Chinook, but there's times when you know, the lake flips or the fishing is tough out in front, you know, I'll move away again from that East West troll and I'll start trolling South and I can, you know, we can get out to the blue zone where I'll be running, uh, you know, I'll be running, you know, you know, orange spin doctors or the baby spin doctors with a, with a small, uh, like Twinkie fly on there, you know, or, a or a Dodger with again, a, a small fly. Or, you know, just a, a spoon, simple spoon with like orange dots, you know, key is lots of orange. I'll go into the blue, in the, in the blue zone and, you know, we'll get double digit, uh, days of, uh, steelhead and coho so that, you know, we can have, we can have really, really good coho, uh, and steelhead trips. Typically it's not in, uh, it's not in close to shore. I find it's, you know, that's that six, seven miles out, but it's, it's not that far for us, for us in Toronto. Um, we can be out, we can be out in 350 feet of water and I think about seven and a half, eight miles. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit, a little bit about that. I wanted to ask you about steelhead in that neck of the woods as well. Uh, you know, Brian at, or, uh, yeah, it was Brian who asked about the, the, uh, coho. What about steelhead out of there? Um, what are you using to target steelhead in your area? It's, uh, it's spoons and flies, like spoons and flies. And I would honestly say a lot of the time. Uh, they're not super picky. Um, for me, a couple of things I use. I'm a. I mentioned I use the hot fish bait heads. Uh, hot fish also make flies and spoons. And they're a Canadian company. I like to support some of the local guys. Um, what I love about their spoons, though, is they're a they're a real thin spoon. They're they're thinner than your standard mag. And why I like these is you know even when sometimes the lake flips over, you'll uh, I'll get I'll go out deep looking to get those, uh, you know, those steelhead or those coho and, you know, what people call the charter fish, but I'll still like to put a couple of rods down deep in that more stable water while it might be cold, a bit more stable and run it and run some meat on those. And what I love about these spoons is I control these spoons slower. So I control these spoons at, you know, 2.0, 2.2, 2.3, you know, with on my fish hawk probe and still entice the uh, entice the steelhead or the cohos. But I find for, for me, for steelheads, I'm running the pinks. I'm running like, you know, so this is a wonder bread with a UV and a glow. I'm running the orange, you know, the, and those are, those are mag size. I'll also use some of the smaller spoons. So this is probably one of my favorite um, steelhead spoons I have. Um, it's a, it's a stinger mixed veggies, but I brought a couple out here just to show like they get absolutely mangled. There's no, like no paint left on these from the steelheads. Like it, it works really, really well for me. So I'm finding it's a lot of the, it's like a lot of the oranges, uh, the, the pinks, the, and some of the, some of the multicolor I find is what I use a lot for the steelhead. Don't get me wrong. You know, I've got a spoon here. This is a hot fish. I don't know what he calls it, but it's like, it's green chartreuse with a glow ladder. This has taken probably a hundred steelhead. It's this, this is mangled. Um, but it's, it's, I find it's all spoons when I'm fishing for speech for steelhead. 
Um, don't don't even need to worry about uh, definitely not meat and he, and even flies while they while they work. Spoons are just so easy, and the steelhead are just happy to play. I saw a lot of single hooks on those spoons that you were showing off, Mark, and that leads us into to Brian Richardson's question. He says uh, he's getting back into salmon and trout fishing on the big lake. Question is, when pulling spoons, do you like single or treble hook, and why? Okay, so that, that I'm glad that question came up. So I ha I'm going to start by saying I used to be right from a kid when I was fishing in England with my dad. I was a treble hook guy. That's all I ever knew. And then uh, in 2012, when I moved out west, I I, I met a captain, Jason Tonelli, out there that runs. Uh, he he owns a tackle shop and he runs. I think it's four or five charter boats. And uh, he introduced me to the singles. And and out west, the the regs are really tight. So barbless hooks, number of points. There's a lot of different regs, and they ran singles. So I'd fish out there with singles because I had to. And then I'd come home and visit my family uh, a couple of times a year. And of course, I made sure I came home during salmon season. So I'd go fish with my dad and I'd bring gear home. And we'd use my gear and we'd catch fish and, you know, we'd land, we'd land the fish. And I started noticing we were losing fish with the trebles. So my dad was like, no, 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 trebles are better. Trebles are better. Uh, he'll laugh if he's watching this because, you know, he'll remember this conversation. So... When I moved back, the first year I came back, it was kind of a, almost a bit of a fun competition with my dad and I. He had his Lake Ontario tackle, and I had all my stuff from out west. And so what I did was I, I took all the barbless hooks off because I, I didn't want to give myself too hard of a time. But I put on all new singles with, uh, with, with barbs. And my dad and I kind of monitored it for the whole season. And at the end of the season, we realized that uh, we were having far better hookup ratios with the singles. And... Uh, you know, they, they would, they would just, we were landing, we were landing the fish. So that's how I got into singles. So you notice that, yeah, you're absolutely right. All of my uh, spoons have got singles. I think I've, if I look around, I've probably got one or two with trebles and those are probably just hooks. Those are probably spoons I bought mid season and never really had time to change and just threw them in the water. Um, in addition to that though, Chris, um, and I'm just trying to find my, you know, here's a meat rig. My, my meat rigs are all singles as well. I, you, you barely will find a treble hook on my, on my boat. And, uh, you know, I remember, uh, I remember a couple of years ago being at the, the lots of show in Niagara and having a, having a conversation with Pete Alex. And, you know, he was just telling me how he had recently started to convert a lot of his meat rigs over to, to the singles. It, it, I find it works, you know, uh, I, I got a buddy of mine that calls my, my single rigs, the, the jaws of death when it comes to meat rigs, because you get one hook under the chin, one in the mouth and the, the fish isn't going anywhere. The only the only downside is you're retying the rigs a lot. Like when I run when I run two singles on a meat rig, and I'm trying to get those those hooks out of the fish's mouth, I'm often snapping off one of the hooks, and now that rig's garbage. So that's the only downside with it on the meat rigs, I'd say. Yeah, but easier than pulling trebles out of nets and those kind of messes as well. Absolutely. So we got another question here. This one's from YouTube. And uh, he asks, uh, he knows you're a big Shimano guy. Why do you prefer the stream sides over the Taloras? You know what? I, uh, for me, uh, you know, I started using the stream sides. Uh, my, one of my buddies had them on his boat and they were, uh, they were a great rod. Um, you know, I think the, the price point for the stream sides is, uh, is, is really good. Um, they have a, uh, they have a, a fulsome, a fulsome lineup. Um, I really, I, I like the action and, and, and actually one of the things while I, while I use Shimano for um, for my uh, 
my reels. I'm a, I'm a big Dakota fan. All my reels are six, seven or 800, um, Dakotas. I, I actually was never really a big Tolora rod fan. Um, I, I, I just really wasn't a fan of the, of the action, uh, of the rods, especially on the, the diver. Uh, and the other thing is, uh, and you know, there's a number of people have said this, uh, with, with the, and I you know I hate to say this, but with the Toloras, they're uh, they're lead core copper rod. I don't, I'm not sure about the new ones, but I personally found the older ones, the guides did not hold up very well to, uh, weighted, weighted steel. And I'm a huge weighted steel fan. So, um, that, that's another reason. Let's, let's unpack that a little bit, Mark. Why do you like weighted steel over, uh, something like a, a copper or, or lead core? So I'll say I'm a big fan of lead core still. I, I do run a lot of, I do run a lot of lead core. Um, but when it comes to, uh, you know, call it that, that thicker copper away to steel, I converted to, I'd say, uh, I started using way to steel probably four or five years ago with one or two rods. Cause I had a bunch of, I had a bunch of coppers, but, uh, you know, plain and simple, it's just a lot easier to work with. Um, you know, the bird's nesting of copper and it's, it's so soft. I find the weighted steel, it's, it's just bulletproof. You know, I don't have any issues with it. Um, kinking, you know, I can, I can, I can start a, a, um, a weighted steel rod, letting it out and hand it to a customer that's never fished before and say, hold this. Um, I would never in a million years do that with a copper. So that's, that's, uh, that's one of the reasons why I've, I've flipped. Um, I, I like the weighted steel. It works. It catches fish and, uh, I find I have to replace it far less than I have to replace copper. We've got about, you know, 15, 20 minutes left in the show here. So if someone has some more questions, put them in there. And again, uh, the question of the evening is going to win a fish hawk swag package with a hat and some stickers and probably a couple other fun items that the guys will throw in there for you. So go ahead and drop those questions in. If you have them, let's get to a question here. Another one from Facebook. It's Ryan Bombach. He says, how does fishing the how is fishing the drop different from other ports on the North Shore or other parts of Lake Ontario, US side, uh, due to the sheer drop and the way the currents are created moving in that area? Yeah, so uh, um I so I start by saying I haven't fished much on the American side, so I can't comment about the American side of Lake Ontario. Um I, I find uh, you know that yes, there's there's definitely currents. I think there's definitely currents on the drop, but it just it brings it brings the fish in, and you uh, you deal with the currents. Where I'd say um, a, there's a lot of current is um, while I'm at Bluffers, the drop runs um, you know call all the way in front of Toronto, so it also runs in front of Toronto Islands, and uh, and that you know right where the Toronto Islands are, you've uh, you, you you've also if you look kind of right across to the you know the lake, you've got the Niagara river. So you do get some current that, you know, actually comes all the way across the lake. So that's where I do find currents can get a little bit haywire is, uh, you know, in front of, uh, in front of the Toronto islands, you know, for me, I I'm watching, I'm watching my lines. Like I'm a, I'm a firm believer. And this is something I, I, I used to, uh, be so important and got drilled into me when I was out West where there was just a ton of current. If, if my lines aren't, um, trolling, nice and square behind the boat i'm not happy so if my lines are crabbing that's where i'm looking to adjust my my setup because I'm, I'm a firm believer of if my if my lines aren't running uh, true and square my baits my baits aren't working properly all right here's one i think i'll have probably a quick answer from you uh how is the brown trout fishing from the bluffs 
Um, you know, I, I'd say it's, you know, for me, I'd say it's almost non-existent. And the reason I say that is, uh, our, the water in the bluffs, it's, uh, it's barely uh, it's barely fished in the spring when a lot of the time people are focusing on, on brown trout. You know, I'll tell you, my my goal this spring was to actually get the boat in really early um, and uh, and try to do a lot more exploring, uh, working for brown trout. Uh, you know, in the spring, but unfortunately, um, you know, we're, we're we're in lockdown right now. I can't I can't do that. Um, we've got you know just uh, just east of Bluffers Park. Um, we've got the Pickering nuclear plant and it's, it's got a, it's got outflows that, you know, there's some typically some warm green water in front of that stretch east of, east of Bluffers park, you know, years and years and years ago, like when I was a kid, there was, we would, we would catch Browns out there in the spring, but it, the water is not really fished anymore. So, uh, not, not, sorry, not fished anymore really in the spring. So, um, I'm lucky if I catch one Brown trout a year. All right. Here's another one. This time we're talking about the fall. And he wants to know, uh, do you fish close to bluffers for staging kings or do you change ports in the fall? So uh, it, it, the short answer is it depends. Um, we don't have a natural, uh, we don't have a natural, uh, call it river, uh, by bluffers. You know, we've got a great pen project that's uh, run by Chris and the, the Metro East Anglers program. So great uh, pen project. But with that, we find our fish actually come back quite late and you know, they're, they're not there. And then the next minute they're jumping in the Marina underneath my boat, literally where my, where I'm docked. Um, what I'd say though, is east of, east of the bluffers again, like bluffers is a great port. Cause there's a lot of water we can cover east of us. There's the Rouge river and uh, Duffins Creek and, uh, and Highland Creek. So there's definitely some, uh, some natural runs there. Um, but I'd say for me, if I truly want staging fish, uh, at a, you know, I'll, I'll have to, I'll fly over to port, uh, port credit, which is probably a 30, 40 minute, 40 minute boat ride, or, you know, depending on some years, um, I may take the boat and, uh, late sep in, sorry, in, um, early September, that's a tournament over in St. Catharines. It's the King of the Lake tournament. I'll often compete in that tournament. So I'll take the boat over and I'll leave the boat over there. That being said though, um, we can have some really awesome Septembers fishing in, in bluffs. It's almost, it's almost like, uh, once the big fish are, are gone, the two-year-olds come out to play and we'll often get, you know, an abundance of two-year-olds at the drop that, you know, when I'm fishing with charters, they, they, they love, they're, they're more than happy to play all day on two-year-old fish. I'll, I'll often lighten up the tackle, take some, put on some, uh, put out some lighter downrigger rods and, and have a ton of fun. The other thing is, you know, we'll uh, we'll have a great offshore bite all the way through September. So last uh, last September, I'd originally planned to go out to the South Shore, and then I made that I made the call and said, you know what, I, I have a feeling I'm not going to get a spring, so I'm going to leave the boat at Bluffers. And I ended up get, and I I was fully booked uh, in September, even to the first weekend of October with charters every weekend. We did have some rough weather and had to cancel, but you know had had fantastic trips. Um, where I'd start in like 200 feet of water and just troll, uh, troll straight south and, uh, you know, looking for the fish and when they'd hit and then circling those areas. And we, you know, we had a number of, you know, double digit days fishing for, uh, you know, um, call it, uh, juvenile Kings and, and steelhead. All right. Here's one uh, from YouTube. Says he's getting new cannon downrigger weights this year, pancakes or balls. Uh, so I'm, I'm probably the wrong guy to ask. So I would say, uh, 
I'd say if I had to pick one of those, I'd probably pick a cannonball. Um, just because I think, uh, the cannonball, my personal opinion is I think the cannonballs get pushed, um, less, uh, side to side by the currents. Um, myself though, I'm, uh, I'm going to stand up to grab one. I use the, uh, I use the pal casting weights. So they're, they're like a fish weight. They've got some of the, they got dimples on them. I'm a big fan of these. These are 16 pounders, but, uh, before, before that, like when I was in BC, uh, I could have used either uh, balls or pancakes, and I used to use cannonballs out there. And then before I was running, you know, call it the fish type weights, I was a cannonball. I was a ball guy. All right. Here's another downrigger question: braided line versus steel for the rigger. Does the noise coming off the rigger line affect fishing? I think that just depends on who you ask. I think everyone's got a, everyone's got a personal uh, preference for that. Uh, I think there's there's pros and cons. There's some people that believe the the, the, the buzz helps attract the fish and that salmon are aggressive. And I, I think that's partially right. But then there's also times when salmon get spooked too. Um, you know, there's, there's the, there's the whole belief that, you know, you can, your downriggers can emit, uh, you know, um, bad currents from your boats and that, uh, you know, by running uh, braid, um, you don't have that problem. The one thing I'll say about braid is it's very finicky. You know, uh, my dad and I had a friend of ours that, uh, you know, he got a couple of new riggers and he was adamant he was going with braid. Um, let's just say, Chris, he made your company a bunch of money because I think he lost three pros because he snapped off the braid, um, you know, with uh, not uh, not stopping his uh, his riggers properly or, you know, hitting the button again and not realizing that it was already to the top. So braids, braid can be finicky. Um, in addition, you know, I had a buddy of mine, uh, I had a buddy of mine uh, that, uh, you know, swears by braid. He is a super experienced angler. But, you know, one one day on the troll, a boat came really, really close, way closer than they should have um, with, a, with a fish on. It was a wire diver and literally sliced his sliced his uh, both lines, lost two weights, lost the probe, right? So braid, braid can be awesome, but, uh, you know, it, it, it's finicky. It's not for the faint at heart. I personally, I personally, for that reason... I run, I run wire. Like I've got, I got a lot going on in the boat. I'm running a boat with typically four or five people. I don't have a mate on the boat. It's one less thing for me to worry about. All right. Here's a great question. I like this one. What's the best tip trick or tactic that you've brought home from out West? Uh, for me, it's, uh, it's running the anchovy. I had never, I had never ran an anchovy like a whole, like this before. This is a fake one, but I obviously get I get real ones. I I had never ran an anchovy before until I went out west, and uh, they they work they work extremely well. There was a I, I run both like I run strip bait and I run anchovies. There was a period of time last year where um you know I was like it felt like it was like three or four to one running an anchovy versus running a strip bait. So that that would be my biggest thing. It's it takes a while to learn because. You know, you're having, you having, it's not like a bait head where, um, you put your meat strip in and it's got a curve and it forces it to roll with the anchovy. You're actually having, you know, you're, you're putting the hook in the back tail of the anchovy. You're creating that curve for it to spin. Um, so it, it's a, it's a bit of getting used to, but, um, that would be the number one thing for me. So they're terrible on pizza, but uh, great at the end of your line. I agree. <laughs> All right. Here's a good one. I like this one too. Can you talk terminal end of your weighted steel? What pound test are you using for leaders? What length are you running? And uh, do you change when running spoons versus flat? Or so um, 
yes, when it comes to using flashes and flies, absolutely, uh, versus spoons. What I would say, you know, for me, um, how I've kind of got mine rigged out is I, my weighted steels I predominantly use with, um, with flasher flies and with, with meat. You know, when I'm running them with meat, typically I'll run them with a, uh, a smaller paddle because I want to keep the, I want to keep the buoyancy of it to a minimum. I find if I run too big of a paddle, I'm worried about it, uh, it being too buoyant. I'll typically run a 30 pound liter when I'm running, uh, the, the weighted steel. I do have a couple of uh, shorter core steels, so like uh, uh, 100 and 150. On those ones, I knock it down to 20 pound because those I'm running with uh, those I'm running with um, uh, a spoon. But that's what I that's what I do. Um, the other thing I I like to do when I'm running uh, running my weighted steel, while m m my backer my backer is typically like a 50 or 60 pound braid. But what I do is I put when I terminate between the braid backer and the weighted steel, I'll put a piece of typically 150 to 180, 200 pound braid in between, probably about 24 inches. And why I do that is that's what I like to clip my whether my inline board, my stern planer, or my or my or my big board to. Um, and, and why I why I do that is I find it wears the braid less. But the other thing. Uh, I find with weighted steel, weighted steel is so strong. I find if um, I find it can sometimes actually break the the backer. So I've found by running that thicker braid in between, it just holds up so much better. Especially if you've got a real big fish on there, and uh, let's say someone starts playing with your drag and it's a little bit too too tight. All right, very good. Uh, here's a question. Want to know? You're talking about a little bit there. Uh, what you believe the sink rate on a weighted steel versus copper is? He said he's he's heard very different numbers. Uh, you know my, you know I I think my general rule of thumb. So for me, when I made the when I fully jumped in with both feet, going from copper to weighted steel, what I did is um, so my two hundred copper I replaced with a two fifty steel. My three hundred copper I replaced with a three fifty steel. You can see a bit of a theme here. So. I find I find myself I'm am I'm in that kind of like that 20 to 22 feet per hundred range, whereas I found copper was more in like that 25 range myself. So I've just bumped it up an extra 50 feet. Um, it might now those rods might run a few feet deeper now, but uh, I've had tons of success with what I've done there. So I just I stick with it. I'm a I'm a process guy. Um, so like I, I like to have things very similar follow a process so that's how i've that's how i made the transition uh from weighted steel to uh sorry from copper to weighted steel mark when people think about your area i think they think a lot about big kings i think they think about the salmon derby and that type of stuff how does your strategy change when it comes from maybe we're going to go out and try to catch some fish and get some excitement and, and let the the clients have a good time to we're going after derby fish what does that derby fish strategy look like you know, it's funny you say that because that's actually one of the biggest debates that is, and, and I'd say is partially going on right now around, you know, charters and, and catching big kings. Don't get me wrong. We love to get our customers on big fish. But, you know, when you're when we're running a charter, it's not about big fish. It's about catching lots of fish. You know, our charters are typically four or five. Some of my colleagues out there, they're running six, seven person trips, larger boats. We need to get lots of uh, lots of numbers. So, 
you know, we're we're often not looking for those big kings. We're looking for numbers. We're running large spreads. We want we want we want kings, coho, a steelhead. We're happy because we want to see smiles on faces of people catching fish. So that's it's it's a big debate right now with all the big derbies, like, oh, do the charters win them all? And it's actually, if you go back and look at the history, typically the charters don't because we're trying to find lots of fish. Um, to answer your question though, um, when it comes to the big fish, I find when I'm looking for big fish. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm slowing the troll down. I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not running, uh, I'm not running spoons. Typically that's when I've gone to, uh, I'm going to a predominantly a meat, a meat program. It's a slower troll, uh, meat program. You know, often that's where I'm running, you know, it's later season. I'm running, I'm running more shallower water. Um, and I'm happy to not get lots of bites. I'm looking for that big bite. Like that's, that's the biggest, that's the biggest difference. I find it's, uh, and sometimes then it's actually less is more like it's, you know, I'm not running lots of rods. Uh, I want to run, I'm running less rods. I'm trying to, uh, keep the noise and the distraction out of the water. Um, there's been a number of times, whether it be on my boat or some of my, some of my buddies boats, um, you know, catching derby fish when literally, um, we're, we're packing up for a trip and we we're, we're down to our one or two rods and next thing you know, it rips off or, you know, I think back and, you know, in our boat, um, it was probably, I think it was three years ago. Um, you know, I was, I was working at my, at my day job and, uh, you know, I'd been fishing for like five days prior straight with my dad. Uh, and we'd been running some trips and stuff and my dad was meant to go to work and he just, and he owned his own business. He's now retired. He was like, screw this. I'm going fishing. He got out at like eight 30 in the morning, threw out a couple of rods and there comes his derby fish, but he was only running two rods on his own. So, you know, to me, it's, it's a slower, I find it's a slower meat troll, you know, le less is more kind of approach for big fish. Well, speaking of speed, here's a question. Wants to know what your typical trolling speed at the ball is uh, on your probe for running salmon spoons. So that's, that's an interesting question. Earlier, I run, I run a very, I run a very thin spoon. I wish I could show you that how thin and light these spoons are. Like, um, you know, they're, like these, these spoons are similar to like a stingray on thickness and they're, and they're really light. So for me, I'll run those like I do with meat running, you know, 1.9 to 2.0, 2.1, 2.2. That's my, that's my range. If I'm running and I don't, you know, I might have one here. I've got a typical, I've got a carbon 14 typical regular mag here. Um, this spoon I'll be running, a heavier spoon, I'd run that at 2.527. But, you know, if I try and run those lightweight spoons at that speed, They'll just spin, but I, I, I like to, I like to mix things up. I like to, I like to have the buffet out there. So I'm running the lighter spoon so it doesn't screw around with my meat program. And then when it comes to flies, I can just, I can just shorten the leader because of the speed I'm running. Things up. There's another thing that you like to do and you wanted to talk a little bit about it. So, uh, custom painting, tell me a little bit about, about your custom paint work that you're doing on your own stuff. Yeah. I, I you know what it's, uh, I'm, uh, I'm not an, I'm not a, I'm not an ice fisherman or, uh, or a hunter. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm devoted to salmon fishing and, you know, call it only salmon fishing. It's probably, you know, it's probably all my wife can take too, is me having the, having the one hobby. So, uh, you know, in the off season, I, I love to, I love to paint my own gear. Uh, for me, I found, uh, it, it started out where I just couldn't find some of the stuff I wanted and uh, it became a bit of an addiction. So like I, I have, as you can see behind me, I've got way too much gear and this is only part of it. The whole floor here is covered uh, covered with stuff right now. I've I've taken over the basement, 
but um you know i started out with a couple of different airbrushes couple of tapes uh figuring it out and from there i you know i really now uh i've i've, I've really started the venture into lots of lots of custom tackle uh you know i in the winter i do i do make a lot of tackle for myself but actually uh, you know, if I think about this winter, I've really made nothing for myself so far because I've been making it for a lot of other people. So I, I do make a lot of custom stuff for other, uh, captains and other tournament anglers. Um, that's, that's unique and different for themselves. And, uh, obviously with me promising not to share their secret patterns with other people, but, um, you know, it's, uh, it's just another way to extend, extend my hobby. Uh, you know, and I've, I've learned to, uh, I've learned to airbrush and, uh, you know, a lot, of, a lot of trial and error because, you know, not every paint, not every paint works well when it comes to uh, doing custom tackle and holding up. And you know, not every clear coat, especially clear coat, holds up. Like that's that's probably one of the biggest uh, that's probably one of the biggest challenges. You know, in a in a perfect world, you know, uh, you can get access to an automotive clear coat super easily. Um, that's been one of the I'd say one of the biggest challenges as I've as I've learned to custom paint. I'm fortunate I've got some people I know that actually work at body shops or own body shops, so. I can I can bulk up and say okay here's here's fifty here's a hundred flashers can you clear them for me but uh, it's uh, I, I find it a lot of uh, a lot of fun in the downtime and I you know I can experiment with different uh, different colors different patterns for example uh, one of the one of the sta one of the staple flashers on Lake Ontario was always at least on the Canadian side was uh, white lightning and, and you know great paddle. But now, and I'm just trying to look at what I got here. I've got a white lightning on an eight-inch Pro Troll. I got a white lightning on a Spin Doctor. So I love, I love the fact that you can, um, I, I can make whatever I want that may not be available in a particular pattern. Or if I think about this, like I got one of the legendary. I think this is the legendary products for the adjust. Can't really buy these anymore. But you know, I, I got a few of these, and you know, custom painted them in a. And a black and green dot so that's where i like i find i like to uh I, you know i'll see certain patterns working on one particular flasher and uh i'll uh, i'll kind of port it over to another another flasher well mark i really appreciate you spending so much time with us tonight and it was really fun to talk to you and have you share some of the knowledge that you have um i think you did an awesome job tonight answering people's questions if people want to find out more about you and king's landing sport fishing what's the best way for them to do so so I'd say a couple of things, uh, you know, uh, you mentioned my YouTube channel. So if anyone just goes to Google and types in King's Landing Sport Fishing YouTube, my channel will pop up. Um, in addition to that, you know, I've got my website. So uh, kingslandingsportfishing.com is my website. Um, they can find out about the uh, about me and my charter business there. Uh, if they want to get out and do a trip, uh, you know, they can call me. But actually, I've got a new uh, new service now on the website that it's got uh, it's got my full schedule up to date. They can literally click on the link and they can book me on the spot, like instant books. So uh, that's something new for this year. That's working out really well as, as well. In addition, they can also find me uh, King's Landing Sport Fishing on Facebook. They can look me up on Facebook. I'm like, I'm a super friendly guy. Like, you know, I get people asking me questions all the time uh, through Facebook Messenger and I'm I'm happy to help and love to, love to chat. And I also learn a lot from the people that uh, reach out. So that's great. Very cool, Mark. Thanks again so much for coming on the show. Uh, we really appreciate you being on. And again, uh, come out and check out Mark's YouTube channel. And uh, today's winner, question of the night, goes to Mark Holiday. So, Mark, go ahead and drop your uh, shipping information to us uh, in the inbox there. 
send us a private message and we will get that out to you either tomorrow or Friday. But thanks again, everybody, for coming out and checking out Fishhawk Live tonight. Next week, we're going to be talking the Niagara Bar. We've got a really cool guest coming on to talk about that. So we'll see you then. Uh, for Mark Kulak, I'm Chris Larson. Thanks so much for watching. See you later, on. Thanks for listening to the Great Lakes Fishing Podcast presented by Fishhawk Electronics. For more information on fishing the Great Lakes, visit our blog at fishhawkelectronics.com.